Hi guys, welcome to another episode of You Are On Mute. Today we're joined by Dr. Truth. We're going to keep the name anonymous just for confidentiality reasons. We're going to call him Truth because we're always speaking the truth. Very nice doctor, very nice lady, retired now psychiatrist, does one clinic a week. And um... <coughs> we're just going to be talking about the effects of lockdown. So... Hopefully you can join us. We can learn a lot from each other today. Um, God bless. How are you, uh, Dr. Truth? I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you, Shady? You okay? That's good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm doing well, to be honest. Great. Great. I can hardly hear you. Can you Can you come close to the laptop? Okay. Um, I'm very close now. Can you hear me well? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So talk to us a bit about yourself, Dr. Truth. Okay, um, I'm a psychiatrist, a consultant psychiatrist working in general adult psychiatry. Um, I'm not fully retired yet, so, um, well, I, I, I still work, but as you said, I, I only work minimal time per week. Uh, and this is my choice really, just um, to have more time for other things. Um, and thank you for inviting me to talk about the lockdown and its effect. Um, hopefully we can share something together. I hope so. I think the lockdown has been very, uh, very detrimental, very aggressive, not pragmatic, uh, disgusting, illegal. And I do agree with the coronavirus regulations in general. I don't know about yourself. Well, I think these regulations um, are there for a reason and there are evidence that the lockdown has helped with reducing the numbers and making the whole society a safer place. Having said that, and I'm saying it in the same breath, it did have an effect. It's inevitable um, on the mental health, on the way people cope, the way we feel about life. So um, I, I think from a physical point of view, yes, I can see the point of view why the lockdown was in place. I'm also fully aware of how it affected so many people on so many levels. Yeah. It's just a balancing act, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. One which I don't think we've done correctly. Well... well you you uh, talk about the health... Uh, talk to us about that. So how does how is the lockdown inevitably affected the population? mentally okay so the there are few points first of all the isolation so there are lots of people in the community who are vulnerable people like elderly disabled uh people who are socially disadvantaged and so on uh, those people have lost a bit of a lifeline of communication with the outside world and as you would imagine if if you are in their position you would feel the, the heat of this lockdown mm. um, quite more profoundly than, than other people. So, so that's, I'm talking about the vulnerable people, as I said, the aged, the, the, the disabled and so on. But even for the younger population, say if somebody is fully able, functioning and everything, but they have tendencies towards say an anxiety or uh, OCD, obsessional compulsive disorder or whatever, the isolation itself 
the lack of social support, the lack of communication with others um, can make these disorders a bit worse. But again, I know that people are quite um, resourceful in a way. So sometimes we find ways of compensating. Like, so if, if I can't meet with my friends, I know that lots of people have been doing a lot of Zoom meetings and a lot of mm. telephone calls, stuff like that. So, so that's the coping. But if we want to focus on the effect, as I said, it's the vulnerable population and also the, the general population. I agree. I agree. 100%. But I'm just seeing a lot more people suffering when they don't usually suffer. Yes, yes. I, I mean, I can give even personal examples. So Please. I, I know a person who he's, all, he's also a doctor and very well respected doctor, I have to say. And but I think the lockdown, he has been working from home since the beginning of the lockdown. So for quite some time, he's before the COVID-19 and before all these things, he was somebody with tendencies towards obsessionality, towards mm. maybe fear of germs and fears of contamination. And like, okay. And, and I think that the fact that there the became like a source of danger and a source of threat outside made the whole situation a lot more difficult uh, for him. Um, he still works hard, don't get me wrong, still works long hours and everything, but in a totally different environment than yeah. the normal working time. And the exacerbation of the symptoms put him under pressure and put the people around him under pressure. I mean, I his close contacts, for example. Yeah. It's been difficult for many. It's been difficult for many. For me personally, it's been very difficult. Like, I've had breakdowns and early got sections. I tried to end my life. Yani. A lot of things happened in such a short period of time. That's right. That's right. And also, don't forget the financial aspect for yes. a lot of people. Yes. So, um, I know some people have been lucky enough to have a furlough system or even keeping their job functioning as usual. But on the other hand, there are lots of other people who their livelihood got affected. Yes. And this would, <laughs> it doesn't need a rocket scientist to tell you that this would make any underlying problem a lot worse. Mm, I agree, I agree, I agree. I think it's been very taxing on so many people, really. Like, so many different people are struggling. Like, they've, they've not had support. They're, they're worried. They're worried about the future. Like, it's, not, it's no joke about that. Like, yeah. the future's the yes. future, yeah. Actually, you've said a very important point, the worrying about the future. Uncertainty in general, and, and I'm using this term um, like specifically, uncertainty in general about anything makes, makes people suffer. Definitely. So if you're uncertain about your health, your finance, your living condition, your future relationship, whatever it is, this uncertainty in itself is a major, major source of stress. <clears throat> and we've seen it on, a, on a personal level, we've seen it day in day out this uncertainty and how it affects people yeah definitely 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 <coughs> it's a period of uncertainty and i just pray to god that it can end soon really because 
the longer it goes on, the, the more the effects are devastating, really. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, although I hope there is some light in the end of the tunnel because the numbers are getting down. Um, good percentage of the population is vaccinated now. So hopefully we would see coming back to some normality. Having said that, again, in the same breath, there are certain things. I don't think they will fully go back to how yes. they were before. Which, which is? Shopping, for example. I think with the closure of a lot of high street shops, for example, I think people becoming more and more accustomed to do their shopping online. Yeah. And you see people who've never used online, say, grocery shopping. That's their normal way of shopping now. Yeah, um, exactly. The working from home. I mean, <clears throat> some companies have realized that they can get the same amount of work out of you if you yeah. are at home and, and tasked with certain tasks and they would save on the rent of, of an office, for example. Yeah. So I think this pandemic and, and the lockdown and everything is sort of speeded up some stuff that were, were going in a certain direction. It just speeded them up by a decade or something. I agree. I agree. It's pulled a lot of things into motion. We do things differently now. Like everything's different. Yes. There's, yes. Uh, there is light of the tunnel. With every darkness, there is light. But sometimes the darkness can't comprehend the lights. Mm, yeah. Well, yeah, let's keep an optimistic view. Exactly. We try. We try our best. How are you dealing with lockdown? I am fine. Uh, my type of work means that I will have to work face to face uh, for the for the period of time I'm working, apart from very few meetings and stuff. So yeah. this hasn't changed, but actually, <clears throat> sort of pushed me towards rethinking the whole work and and hence minimizing my hours, for example. So um, perhaps if it wasn't for the lockdown, maybe I would have been working maybe near full time or half time um, but I, I think the lockdown made a lot of people including myself to rethink our priorities um, yeah. our our family life um, our balance and stuff like that so yes that's on a personal level yeah yeah, yeah. have you got kids uh, well grown up kids how old <laughs> uh in their 20s. Oh, Both my of them age. Are... My age. Yes, yes, yes. So Do I know any you're... of them? I don't think so. I don't think so. Are you going to church? Uh, the, the, they do, but they are not active participants at all. Is there a reason for that? Um, I, I suppose it's their personal choice. Sometimes yeah. they, they find other things to do. Um, and as I said, maybe the lockdown has also made things a bit more difficult, for, at least for one of them. Yeah. How are they studying or working? They are both still studying. What are they studying? Uh, I think I don't want to talk a lot about them because... Yeah, sure, sure, sure. sure. We, don't really, we, we don't want to leave your identity, Dr. Truth. <laughs> yes, exactly. So once I start telling more about them, everybody will know. I, I know think exactly. people will recognize your voice. Perhaps, yes. Well, <laughs> you are, no I think you're right. 
<laughs> yes, yes, you're right. So, Dr. Truth, uh, tell me about the good word of God and how we can implement it in our mental health lives and how we can live a godly life while attaining mental purity. Okay. We, there is a verse that I really like very much. I, I'll, I'll try to say it from memory that God's mercies are new every morning. Wow. And this makes us feel that, this is not the exact translation, by the way, but yeah. all I want to say is that God's mercies are renewable every morning. If we keep this in mind, keep that we are never left alone. We, we are really never left alone. We don't see God's providence clearly because a lot of the time we are just blind to them. But the fact that he sustains us, that he takes care of every little thing in our life. People who are a bit older <coughs> um, um, can testify to this perhaps a lot better than younger people because they, they can look back at their life and see how much God intervened at every stage and how much he provided and how much he cared for every little thing. Um, so if we, if we maintain this view, knowing that everything is under control, that he is in charge and he is merciful and good, then we, we, we really don't have much to fear. We just need a bit of leaving it in his hands sometimes because a lot of the time we fret too much about so many things while we have a caring father that already cares for us. Yeah. So would you say your faith has been... Um importance not just in your life but your working life more importantly yes uh, I, I would say having God as part of your life makes a lot of difference from the very small things that you do day to day to the major decisions that affect your life so Yes, and it affects your view of, of the world around you. It affects your view of yourself, your view of the people around you. And in general, you will just have a different point of view. Yeah, I agree. I agree, I agree. Uh, do you like uh, guitar music? Uh, some of it, yeah. Do you know do you know folk music? Like oh, yeah, I acoustic do. folk like indie. Well is... I, I don't I to be honest, I don't listen to, to this music, but I recognize it and if it's playing, I think I would enjoy it. I'll put something on for you. Go just on, to, just to set a mood, you know? Like I like to set a mood. This is one of my okay. favorite songs of all time. Gone. Okay. I won't respond to that. No, that's not mine. <laughs> Leave <laughs> me alone, Terry. Let me know what you think of this song, Daughter Truth. Is yeah, I can hear it yet. It's a Scottish band. Let's okay. take a minute to listen, yeah. To set the scene. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is the beginning of the rest of your Stop moving like you're running out of time The realisation coming over your mind 
What do you think so far? Okay, is this is nice? Is it like is it? Can you understand the words? Because he's Scottish, you see. Uh, to be honest, I wasn't focusing very much with the words. I, I think I was just listening to the music. But I think if I focus enough, I might pick something. Do you like Arabic music? Uh, mm, not particularly, I have to say. Who do what music do you like? Like uh, Doctor Truth. Uh, it's difficult to say. Some some hymns I, I like. Some hymns I like. Um, certain uh, church um, music, like Hillsong. Yes, yes, uh, liturgical songs and things like that. Um, but Do as you I like said, I'm, I'm reading music? some of it. Some of it. Which ones do you like? Um, perhaps the more more older songs, like I can identify with, even with in the Western songs, like the things that were produced perhaps fifty years ago or a hundred years yeah, ago. Yeah. Some of it is, is very very touching. I don't I don't have much of a taste for the more modern stuff. I have to say. Have you got any examples? Okay, so there is. Um, a lovely Western hymn called As I Am. As I know it, yeah. Who's it by? I, I, it's, as I said, it's it's very old. Perhaps it's 80 or 100 years old, so I wouldn't know who who is it by. Um, and okay. it has been translated to Arabic, for example. Just As I Am? Mm-hmm. Just As is that, I Am. Is that what it's called, Just As I Am? Yes, that's the one I think. Okay. Is this it? Yes. Just as I am without Is this it? It is. It is indeed. Obviously, yeah. I know the Arabic version of the same song, and it's really beautiful. What's the Arabic um, version called? Kama Ana. But okay. but again, there are few versions of it, so you have to pick the good version to to taste it. But it it is the same song with the same words. It's it's very old. Do you want to send it to me on WhatsApp? Um, if I find the right version, I'll send it to you. Perhaps outside this meeting, I'll, I'll, I'll try to find it and send it to you. Because it will take me time. Okay, sure. Uh, I think I've got a song which we can play. Do you know that song which goes... Oh, I found it. Can Anna? Can Anna to horn? Uh, play it and see if it is. Yeah. 
Is this it? No, I don't think so. Okay. I'll play something nice. Listen, for you. don't worry about it. There are lots of uh, nice and interesting things. It doesn't have to be this one. Okay. I'll play one song <laughs> for you, which I like. Which uh, you'll know it straight away. Then we'll, we'll have a discussion while the music's playing. So why why did you decide not to fully retire? Um, I well, I I feel I still have something to to give. I feel I, I still feel it's too early age wise. Definitely, definitely, I agree. From speaking to you, I definitely feel you've got something to give. You know this song? It's beautiful. This is a cover. It's beautiful. You know, this song is very tragic. Yes, in a way. Because she committed suicide later on in her life. Yes. But the leader was, the leader was special. Mm. So did you did you grow up on uh, Abdul Halim and Omar Kulthum and them people? Yes, they were always like played in the streets and things, but not not at home. Did you not? You said why didn't you listen to it at home? Uh, it wasn't something we did, I suppose. Yeah, did you enjoy the music though? Yeah, I mean, if 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 I was say in a bus or something, or walking in the street and it's playing, yeah, yeah, it's a nice music. I I would enjoy it while it's playing. I think the thing about Egyptian music is it's very timeless. It can it can stand the age of time. Yes, that's right, and it's always a good test, the time test. Yes. Yeah, Abdul Halim. I know fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old British second generations are listening to him now. All right. Interesting. Yeah, really, really, it's, it's no joke. So, talk to us about your journey into mental health and why you decided to go into our practice. Okay, so it's a combination of few things. The branch itself was of interest to me. Um, there were, in my time at least, there were more opportunities to practice as a psychiatrist in the UK than other specialities. Yeah. Um, and also, as I said, it's it's a branch of interest. Um, and I think looking back, I wouldn't want to do something different. Really? I still choose it again. Have you enjoyed it? Yes, yes. As I said, I wouldn't do anything different. May I ask you, have you lost, have you seen people lose their lives? A lot, unfortunately. Really? Suicide? Yes, yes. Because at a certain point, um, I worked um, in a large catchment area, which was like relatively deprived. And I used to see a lot of suicides every year. Really? How many? Well, it differs from year to year, but talk about four or five every year around that. And that's a lot. That is a lot. That is a lot. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So why was this? Why, why did they commit suicide? Do you know? Um, a lot of them had meant, well, not a lot of them, all of them, because they were my patients. A lot of them have severe and enduring mental illness. Yeah. Um, so, and in some disorders, the, 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 the suicide rate is high. And like like personality disorder and stuff like that? Well, like severe depression and yeah. schizophrenia and, and so on. I'm, I'm talking about the more core mental illness. Um, so you, you do see suicide despite the services, despite the input, despite the medication. Yeah. But it does happen. Does it hurt when it happens? Extremely, extremely. Um, death, death in general is, is, is a shaking thing. Do you so, grieve? Do you grieve and mourn? But yeah, exactly. When it happens at the person's decision, it is a lot, a lot more difficult. For, for the people working with him, like the mission and the family and everybody, it's it's a tragic thing. Yeah. I actually saw a heartbreaking uh, video about um, I think he was I think he was in a prison or something, uh, and the guy had schizophrenia and he was scared that his food was getting poisoned. Mm. And he, he was making progress, making progress. And one day he said to them, can you check my food for me, please? Then they knew that he deteriorated. The next day he hung himself. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite, it was very sad, very sad, very sad. Yeah. And yeah. he was a very nice guy. Yes, yes. And I'll a lot give... of the time, it's unpredictable as well, which makes it more difficult. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'll get you another video clip. I think it's here somewhere. So this is one of the videos. Uh, um, where is it? Let's see. So this is one of I'll just share my screen quickly. Okay. Okay. It's quite distressing this video. Okay. So I just share my screen quickly. Watch this, uh, Doctor Truth, and let me know what you think. Your goal is to yourself and my job is to keep you alive so have you got any plans to do another road yeah and have you got the means to do that not at the moment 
Unfortunately, this is a very, very common scenario in, in, in mental health services is that um, despite the input and despite the help, people go ahead sometimes and do things. Um, and obviously in young people, the percentage can be a bit higher at certain age groups, certain epidemiology. So this, this video you've just shared with us, it, it, it's, a, it's a more or less a very, very common example. I'm going to show you this video. It's a, it's a bit longer, but it's worth it, okay? Yeah. Yeah. It's quite sad. That's long. It's just destroyed. The question why will always be in my head. It's horrendous to think that there might actually be people who die because our strategy is not implemented. What was life like growing up with your children? Very busy. It's a very busy, noisy household. Three boys, two girls. Not much between them in age. This is Patricia Ferrin. Patricia has lost three sons to suicide in the last seven years. And then first day, as every week, flowers, also like care and die twice a month. Stephen died. Dennis Burial comes up and helped me almost a year ago because I can't go because I'm a star falling apart, breaking, safe speeding, digging the light. Said you should be here, you should be here, me, you should be here. That's hard, really is hard, you know. <laughs> Patricia's youngest son, Niall, took his own life in 2011. Her second son, Kieran, took his own life in 2014. And Patricia's eldest son, Stephen, took his own life in September 2017. Stephen, it was last few weeks before he died. He kept saying to me his name was broken. It was hell. Because he never got much sleep. He paced them floors at night time. I never got much sleep with him. Because you're constantly aware walking them floors. And I went to mental health, begged them, begged them to offer help. And I felt as if I didn't listen. On Friday the 8th of September 2017, Stephen's mental health began to get worse. We asked him if he got somewhere where he go, yes, he'll go in somewhere. He says, right, that's okay. Well, you're going to have to wait till Monday. There's nothing we can do till Monday. I just get up and here's me. I just walk the gap and my dust fine. And I just turned back and I came back to the door. And I went to get my friend and we haven't got to Monday. There are many different sides to Northern Ireland. It's a complex place. And why the suicide rate is so high here is a really difficult question to answer. The reasons why a person takes their own life are also really complex and individual. And every suicide is different. Professor Siobhan O'Neill has researched trauma and suicidal behaviour in Northern Ireland. She thinks there could be several reasons for Northern Ireland's high suicide rate. 
we could look at the economic climate in Northern Ireland. We're only just seeing the effects of austerity. And we know that when there's economic stressors on a population, we, we see an increase in suicides there. We have some marginalised groups in Northern Ireland, such as our LGBT community here, who have really high rates of problems and suicidal behaviour. The legacy of the Troubles has had its impact on mental health of uh, the population here, and that's still being felt in Northern Ireland. And we, through our research here at Ulster University, have shown that exposure to traumatic events relating to the Troubles is likely to increase your risk of suicidal behaviour. The Troubles. A 30-year conflict in Northern Ireland, which ended with the Good Friday Peace Agreement in 1998. Only 3,600 people were killed in the violence. But since the Peace Agreement in 1998, more people have died from suicide in Northern Ireland than were killed during the Troubles. We discovered that 39% of the Northern Ireland population had witnessed uh, a trauma that would be related to the Troubles. And that was really, really high. The concern is that the, the effects of those traumas that their parents have witnessed is now um, affecting the next generation young people. To me, it's just a statistic. That's very fast, statement. It's a statistic. Two days after Patricia's son Stephen was sent home by mental health services, he took his own life. They didn't realise he was a emotional son, brother, uncle, father. And we wanted to hold on to him, keep him precious because his two brothers died. He was the only son, my only surviving son left in this family. And it, they, they, didn't, they didn't care. They really didn't. He was helpless at the end. Helpless. And that's what angered me because I wouldn't want anybody going through what we went through. And I would do everything in my power I could to stop. And soft needs were put in place. Soft needs were put in place to help people like that. To lose someone by suicide it's just dreadful. I just honestly cannot explain to you the pain of that. My young son Philip had died in 2003 and I had no idea what the signs were of depression or if someone was feeling suicidal. Since losing his own son to suicide, Philip McTaggart now trains people in the community about the signs of depression. Patricia Laurie and Michael Opie have both had training to spot those signs. People isolating themselves away, um, you know, not wanting to be involved with anything, even down to the very thing that, that they're not looking after their own personal care. Sometimes you can see people and they're smiling, they're laughing, everything's okay. And you look at that right phone call the next day, and you just, just, it's just a shock. Where did that come from? These, have, these people had families, had children, had jobs, but all of a sudden they're gone now. And, and why? Michael owns a gym, a place where people come to look after their physical health. But he's getting people there to open up about their mental health too. And he also offers free gym classes to people with mental health issues. You know, it's hard for a, a grown man, a guy who gives a person who's just a strong person in the outside, to say he's weak on the inside. And that's the way he looks at it. I wouldn't say he's weak, that's the way he looks at it. In 2016, 74% of suicides in Northern Ireland were male. With the proper help and the proper counselling, the proper support, you actually feel stronger. For years, we were very silent about the troubles. The first bomb was in an auctioneer's showroom in Great Victoria Street. Minutes later, another bomb went off nearby. 
we're asking people to talk about their mental health. We're asking people to talk about the troubles. This is a very big ask in a society that has remained silent and fearfully silent for, for so, so long. Growing up in the troubles, pretty intense. Um, and they can see, personally, because I grew up in the troubles myself, why coming at the other end of it, you know, there would be certain issues that, you know, people could have. You were sitting in the house, you're a young man, and, and, and if you're a Catholic or a Protestant, doesn't matter, and a car pulled up to your house, you'd be jumping up out of your bed or off your sofa looking at the wings to see who it was, your door being barricaded every night. There are more people now who have died by suicide than died in the conflict. That's unbelievable. So, we can't give up. They shed the noise is often hurt. And I think I should should be a bit more. I don't want to stick. But I was so tired of week. I think that's why I took all the classes up to give me strength, keep myself going, to do things. It keeps me active and keeps me mind off things. I enjoy creating things. You know, as a baby class, so we help, as you see, you know, all the girls here. And take things off your mind and it's Get you in the house instead of starting with four walls. Tony's just quite a person. Makes me feel like I'm a person. This is me. This is me. This is what I like to do. You know, I can be of some use to work. <laughs> Northern Ireland already spends about 8 million pounds a year on suicide prevention. But a report for Northern Ireland's Assembly in 2017 said mental health funding here continues to be lower than other regions in the UK. Political turmoil in Northern Ireland. And 20 months ago, the Northern Irish government collapsed. And because there's no government, an enhanced suicide prevention strategy is still waiting to be signed off. It's really, really disheartening to think that we have the strategy that people commented on, went to a lot of trouble to develop, and it's sitting on a shelf. And we can't deliver on it because we don't have an executive installment. The policy changes that are required and the expenditure changes that are that are required to deliver all the, the new techniques, the new um, activities, we can't actually do that. It takes people and families like myself where we have to put our grieving on hold the campaign to have this strategy released. When we look at Scotland a number of years ago, had rates that were higher than ours. They had a strategy, they implemented it, and the rates did go down. In September 2018, Northern Ireland's Department of Health said publication of the finalised Protect Life 2 strategy in its entirety would of course be beneficial. However, it would be totally wrong and misleading to suggest that support for those who need it is being compromised because of any delay in its publication. They also said that help is available and much is being done for new developed services. I don't think there's much to be done, to be honest with you. I don't think they're doing enough. I think there should be more money put in. There should be more people trained up. We are the highest suicide throughout the United Kingdom. And that's what I can't grasp. That's why. If you or anyone you know has been affected by the issues in this film, there is help available.
What do you think, Doctor? Hello? Hello? Doctor Truth. Doctor. Yeah, so that was a very touching video. Very sad, suicide, very sad. I can't hear doctor, so we might have to wrap it up. Hello. Hi, doctor. What do you think? Yes, I totally agree. I mean, um, unfortunately, it is a tragic event that sometimes it's preventable. Sometimes it's not preventable, unfortunately. Um, and that there are services there. So people who feel like it, they, they, all they need is just to reach for help. And sometimes it doesn't have to be professional help. A lot of the time, the role of family, friends, uh, and so on. Sometimes it's underestimated because people don't realize that their loss would mean so much for other people. At the point of despair, they don't see these things. They only see that the only way out is to end it all. If, if they have the chance to rethink this, even for five minutes, it might make the whole difference. Just knowing that there is somebody who is willing to listen to them, somebody who is willing to help, um, somebody who's willing to support and, and believe their trouble and, and, and empathize with their pain. Yeah. I think sometimes that's all they need. I agree, I definitely agree. What's the most upsetting case you've ever had with a psychiatrist? Oh dear. Um, there is a particular case with a young girl. I think she was only 20 years old or either 19 or 20 or 21, something in this range. And she came after, I think, a fight with her boyfriend or something like this. Um, but then she... I, it wasn't me who assessed her. It, it was my junior doctor at the time. And at that time, everybody was confident that she will go home. She had about a two years old son that she will look after him and that her dad was waiting for her home. So everything was, yes, she had a fight. She's in trouble, but then she will go back to her normal life because she has a very, very young son and a supportive dad and a family around her and everything. And then straight after she left a &E, she um, committed suicide. Um, so it was a shock to leave a two years old son behind with nobody and to, to at a certain point not to see that there is somebody who loves her so much, that's her dad and people who were willing to help and everything. So it's, that's, that's a situation of a young person who lost her life and 
this loss has affected so many people around her because she was so young, because of young dependent, because of loving family around her. Um, and, and the sad thing is that she didn't suffer from a serious mental illness. I think it was just a situational thing. And at a spur of a moment, she said, that's it, I'm just leaving it. Um, obviously, I don't know what was in her mind at the time, but her young age, her young son, her family, everything made the whole situation very, very difficult. It was very sad, very, very sad. Mm, mm. What did you think? Well, you asked me about one. Yeah, yes. Did you cry? <laughs> I, well, no, but I think the junior doctor who, who was involved in the case, she was very shaken. She was very shaken. What was the person like? Was she a nice person? Um, I don't remember much about the patient, but I think, as I said, she didn't suffer from a severe mental illness as such. So you would think of her as your, your next door neighbor or your colleague at work or your colleague at uni or whatever. So, um, so she wasn't somebody who was very unwell, who ended up in hospital many times. It, no, not, not like this at all. So the fact that it can affect anyone makes you think, no, I better help if I can. Every suicide is different. Exactly, exactly. What's shaking you the most as a psychiatrist? Have you ever seen like um, a prison, people going to prison because of murders and stuff like that? Um, well, I've seen quite a few of these things, uh, but this is usually not the sad bit. I think the, the more sad situations is the people who gave up. I think yeah. that's giving up is, is the most sad thing because you feel, you see people who have given up on themselves and how that affected them. And you feel, no, if there's one thing we need to do is just keep swimming, as Dory says, <laughs> just keep swimming. I think that's the perfect way to end it, to be honest. That's the perfect way to end it. Keep swimming, guys. Keep swimming. Never, never sink. Exactly. Just keep swimming. Thank you so much, Dr. Truth. I was just going to reveal her name by accident, so I think we're going to have to call it a day before I unveil the identity of an anonymous <laughs> psychiatrist who is a female. <laughs> okay, take care. Thank you, take care now, bye. Thank you, thank you very much for inviting me and take care, everybody. No problem, bye. Bye now, bye. Bye. So yeah, guys, that was another episode. Um, amazing, amazing. Dr. Truth just gave us a lot of truth today. So God bless you all and take care. Hope you're feeling safe.